Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 229. Well, just ahead, Lifecycle, a controversial drill down interview from this last summer, yields a result you might have predicted. And investors are gnashing their teeth over aligned technology results. Are teenagers to blame? And a fascinating conversation with big-time CEO Antonio Neri of Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. He says his company is the next big thing in the cloud, and his numbers prove it. And finally, big news about the Drill Down podcast. Yes, about us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T dot com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks and the move. Joining me on the mic today, Siobhan Field of Forbes Australia. Good morning, Siobhan. It's morning where you are. Good morning, Corey Johnson. How are you today? I'm great, and uh, and you sound great with your new microphone. Well, thank you so much. I, I, Thank I you so presents. much. Coming to you from Sydney, Australia today. Okay, so I've got presents too for our listeners because before we get too far, Siobhan, I've got some big news about this show. So our company, our parent company, the Business Podcast Network, which I started about three years ago, has been acquired. The Futurum Group, a technology advisory and research firm out of Austin, Texas, is acquiring BPN and yes, acquiring the drill down. Well, that is good news, Corey. Very exciting stuff. So what what does that mean? How big is this deal? And how much did you and the investors get? Oh, come on. You know I don't talk about money. That'd be rude. But it's a it's a big deal. It's it's a, it's exciting uh parents now for what we've been doing. And uh um it's you know, we've been building towards this for a long time. We put up a lot of content that I'm really proud of. We've talked to thousands of CEOs and and uh um uh, had a lot of I think good information, actionable information and help people learn a lot, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, what does that mean you'll be doing with your time now, Corey? Well, I've got a new role as the chief market strategist for our acquirer, the Futurum Group, uh, where I'm going to oversee the expansion of thought leadership and research offerings, particularly within the technology investing world. Basically, Futurum has a pile of data on what technologies are working in chips, software, hardware, AI, customer experience. So I'm going to take all that and try to help understand what it means for the markets and for stocks, and I'll meet with Futurum clients and help them understand uh, what's going on in the world, as well as talking to the media about what Futurum analysts have learned and what it might mean uh, for the markets. Very good. Uh, well, that'll keep you busy. Uh, but what about us? What about the future of the Drill Down podcast? Siobhan, you can't stop the Drill Down. You can't even contain it. So the Drill Down podcast continues. Indeed, uh, we'll expand uh, to any number of Futurum media projects uh, which I'll also contribute to. So very excited about this. Very excited to keep doing the drill down and a whole lot more. All right, Corey. One more question. Yes. Just one more, I promise. What stocks are you drilling down on today? Oh, I see what you did there. Let's look at Lifecycle, a company we've looked at in the past. Let's do that. Lifecycle Holdings, it trades with the ticker LICY with a market cap of just $253 million. Shares were up 40 2% in the last week. And for the last 12 months, shares are down a whopping 75%. What's the story with Lifecycle Holdings? And Corey, were you short on this one? 
First of all, I never uh, talk about companies on this show that I have positions on. And so sadly, I was not short this stock that has gone from about a billion dollar valuation to about a $250 million valuation in the last year. Um, but, you know, why do we do this show? We talk to companies and ask tough questions. Sometimes companies you've never heard of in important industries like lithium batteries, a big industry and a big company, at least it was a big company, a billion dollar company a year ago. You might remember this interview from July 12th, our episode number 214, with the Toronto-based Lifecycle and the CEO, uh, Ajay Coker. Um, the company was building a big factory and had a global uh, plan with Glencore as an investor to use some kind of incredible technology that they had uh, cooked up. Uh, they said that would uh, help recycle lithium batteries in a new manner that would recover tons of lithium and cobalt and hardly pollute uh, and be so much more efficient than anything else out there. Um, and during the interview, uh, CEO Coker was surprised, even shocked, when I told him that, that very day I had been to their big Rochester, New York facilities unannounced. When I got there, I saw nobody on the site, a virtually empty parking lot. And uh, yeah, he was shocked. I mean, that kind of knocked him off his feet. But um, I had some detailed questions about accounting practices. He didn't seem to, to like those either. He kept calling them old news and didn't want to discuss some of the questions I had. But uh, the company didn't want to air the interview. They petitioned us vociferously uh, for a chance at least to redo it. Of course, we don't do that. We do real work here. But surprise, surprise, here we are three months later in Lifecycle this week, stunned shareholders by announcing the company's halting work in its Rochester hub, pending the completion of what they're calling a strategic review, including scope and budget. Lifecycle said they're facing escalating construction costs, um, a lot more than they had expected. And uh, what about the big U.S. Energy Department $375 million loan commitment they'd been boasting about where they say they are working closely with the DOE. It sounds like they don't have that money in pocket yet. Now, to be sure, they have another site in Rochester. And after the interview, I went by that one. Uh, and indeed, I saw a couple dozen people working on the skeleton of a building, some trucks driving around and stuff. Uh, if I'll post some pictures on my my Twitter account of uh, at Corey TV. At Corey TV? Yes, at Corey TV. Okay. On, uh, on X, good. formerly known as Twitter. But uh, I'll post some of those pictures um, after the podcast airs. But, uh, but whatever. The project clearly had a long way to go when I saw it, and now it looks like it might not get there at all. But man, the CEO was selling it hard in July. Here's a snippet of that interview. After I spent a good 20 minutes pushing back, or he spent a good 20 minutes, I should say, pushing back on my skepticism, here's Lifecycle CEO Ajay Coker from uh, July. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's it's exciting. We're This is going to be the largest facility to process black mass and these battery materials in the Western world. I should Frankie. I think even including China. And it's very topical, right? We need lithium, we need nickel, we need cobalt to make the energy transition happen. We need it for batteries and we need it domestically sourced, right? That's the whole theme of what's been happening from regulatory perspective, uh, political perspective and corporate perspective. Our customers are moving there. So this is a solution to make that happen. We had this vision a long time ago. We've been executing on it and it's right down the fairway from when things are happening. So right down the fairway. Yeah, it seems like uh, they might have shanked this one worse than one of my errant golf shots. The fairway is no longer in sight for Lifecycle. I'm sure you do better on the golf course than I do, Corey. Let's turn to your next drill down. Align Technology. 
All right. Align Technology, it trades with the ticker ALGN with a market cap of about $19.4 billion. Shares were down 7%, 7% in the last week. But for the last 12 months, shares are down 16%. What's the story with Align, CJ? So uh, those numbers that you cited uh, got a lot worse after the company reported earnings. Uh, this is the maker of Avisalign, you know, the, uh, the teeth straightening, clearer things. Um, they reported terrible results. And after the market closed, uh, after announcing those results, the stock was down 20% just in after hours trading, a real big drop. Uh, and as I mentioned, they sell the Invisalign clear teeth aligners. Um, and maybe more importantly, the $50,000 machines that uh, orthodontists have to buy in order and, the, and, and then subsequently pay licensing fees for in order to sell Invisalign teeth aligners. And it turned out, turns out orthodontists are not selling as many of them as Align had hoped resulting in these surprisingly lousy third quarter earnings. Invisalign said the previous estimates of $3.98 billion for this calendar year will be down to 3.82. It's $160 million light. Company says results in the uh, biggest segments will decline next quarter. No more growth for this company in their biggest businesses, their biggest business, which we thought would be growing. But uh, they're blaming the strengthening of the dollar, longer sales cycles to dentists, but they're really blaming teenagers. The third quarter, which they just finished, is usually a big quarter for teenage teeth straightening, the company says, but not this time around. Adults, too, are staying with their crooked teeth, more than a line had hoped. That means that in the last quarter, uh, numbers didn't cook up to what they'd hoped they'd been. Here's Align Technology CEO, Joe Hogan. You know, we felt great about teens in, you know, in the third quarter and what we reported too, but adults were really highly affected. And when you run through the fourth quarter, it's primarily an adult season for us. And uh, you know, China is a big uh, teen season in the third quarter too. So our, you know, our, and when you look at the gauge data, uh, for September and what we see in October so far, you know, and even some of the uh, consumer, you know, profiles around, you know, how they're feeling about their finances and all, uh, we basically just projected what we've seen in September forward to the fourth quarter. Oh, uh, gauge data, he mentions uh, gauge data. Gauge data is a, it's an interesting private company, dental software product used by dentists all over. And that software company takes the dental, uh, 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 all the dentist information, aggregates it, and then blindly offers it up to the industry as a kind of barometer for how much uh, activity is going on. And in short, Siobhan, it looks like things aren't good. And indeed, teeth are staying crooked. That is no good at all. No. Did you ever have a braces? Oh, yeah, lots of braces. You did? Yeah. Lots of braces. Half my kids had braces. Lots of braces. My mother's family. The teeth weren't pretty. Corey, what's your next drill down? Microsoft. Microsoft. It trades with the ticker MSFT, market cap of, oh, you know, $2.5 That's a lot. Shares were up 3% in the last week. But for the last 12 months, shares are up 36%. Let me guess. This is going to be AI. This is going to be an AI tie-in, Gen AI, LLMs. Yes, yes, all that. Before we talk about AI, Siobhan, you were out of pocket uh, in the middle of nowhere two weeks ago. Where were you briefly? I was in Cape Tribulation, far north Queensland, on First Nations land, which is uh, Aboriginal Indigenous land here in Australia. Amazing. Uh, You posted a picture on your Instagram. Let me show you that that picture, Siobhan. There's the picture. Incredible. And I was talking about Adobe AI, and I did something with Adobe AI, not Microsoft AI, which, of course, Microsoft has an AI 
thing called uh, what they use through Bing and they use through AI generator. So there was this moment of you, Siobhan, out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I figured I'd just ask Adobe, draw a pterodactyl. Oh, wow. Like we just went Game of Thrones. There we are. It's Khaleesi, right? Uh, that, I could, yes, yeah, you do look like Khaleesi. There we go, I Game of Thrones. So the top of this thing. That is, uh, and and with your permission, I'll post it on on uh, on the Twitter or Instagram. You can ponder that if you want to let me do that. But uh, just amazing with uh, a simple textual cue, you can suddenly get the option to uh, uh, create things like that. And that was a big driver of Microsoft results too. Not necessarily putting pterodactyls flying over Shervon in in Australia, but. Um, AI and AI writ large. You know, Microsoft, of course, invested $10 billion to get into an ownership stake with OpenAI. But there's been a big concern that running all these AI queries on its search engine, Bing and elsewhere, would be expensive. Whether they're doing textual comparisons or creating images of Siobhan, what you texted me, uh, gratuitous blondes in our uh, drill down uh, Instagram account. We've illustrated some of our stories. But anyway... These queries can be expensive to run. And nonetheless, Microsoft reported a really strong quarter uh, in their cloud division uh, and growth with AI. Their uh, Microsoft cloud growth for Microsoft Azure up 28% year over year. And what I found was really interesting was hearing CEO Satya Nadella talk about the experience of the cloud business, helping them keep costs down as they built a new platform on AI. This platform transition, I think, is very important uh, for us to be very disciplined on both, um, I'll call our tech stack, uh, as well as our capital spend, all to be concentrated. Uh, the lesson learned from the cloud side uh, is this, we're not running a conglomerate of different businesses. It's all one uh, tech stack up and down uh, Microsoft's uh, portfolio. And that I think is going to be very important because that discipline Given what the spend like will look like for the AI transition, any business that's not disciplined about their capital spend accruing across all their businesses uh, could run into trouble. Okay, speaking of the cloud, Siobhan, our big guest today, Hewlett Packard Enterprise CEO Antonio Neri. He says that HPE2 should be thought of as one of the big companies in the cloud with big HII, sorry, AI workloads, I said. H-P-E-A-I. Oh my God, all those syllables, all those letters. But yeah, big deal. You got to hear this interview right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight, ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Antonio Neri, the CEO of Hewlett Packard Enterprises, otherwise known as HPE, to its friends. Uh, Antonio, glad to have you um, on the heels of a bunch of good quarters and and uh, an, an analyst day and investment day that you guys had at the New York Stock Exchange, um, where you talked about the topic everyone's talking about, which is artificial intelligence. Where does no. where does HPE sit? What do you guys do? to make money? Because I think so much of the conversation about artificial intelligence for a lot of companies, is going to be a cost, not, not a, not a profit center, but I think that's not the case with HPE. What do you guys do in AI? Well, we are very excited about the opportunity that the AI presents to us, but honestly to every business and the society as a whole, I think it's going to be very transformative, not different than mobile or web was at this time. 
And as I think about AI, I think about how we can improve the way business operates, how we can improve some of the societal challenges we all live. But a Hewlett Packard Enterprise is really well positioned to capture that opportunity. We have a true end-to-end portfolio that addresses all three aspects of the AI lifecycle, training, tuning, and inferencing. Think about training when you develop a model and you want to train that model uh, for a specific process or outcome. Um, and HPE is uniquely positioned to enable those customers, which are very different than traditional enterprise. These are model builders to run those models as efficiently as possible. You need a lot of computational power. Um, you know, you need the right power to enable the systems to operate sustainably. And then ultimately, you need accuracy. And HPE is the market leader in supercomputing uh, technology that allows us to do that at scale that others can't. And is that because you, you can just process so much more with the kinds of computers that you're right. running and, you're, and, and that others just can't compete? Right. Exactly. I think, you know, if think about, you know, some of these models, they're already reaching a trillion parameters, right? And the more parameters and more data you fit to the model, more accurate they're going to become. Uh, so you need a lot of compute power that acts as a one system. Uh, and we know how to do that. We do that today for the Department of Energy. We do that for very large customers. We showcased yesterday some great examples of customers that they're doing research in molecular docking like recursion in pharmaceuticals or like uh, Crusoe Energy designing, you know, what is the next generation of renewable energy. So we know how to do this, but it, it doesn't end there, right? The journey continues and that journey is how you then tune those models with your data in a private, secure and sustainable way. So that's why we enter the market in June with our uh, public version of uh, that capability. And then you have to deploy it, which we call it inferencing. So HP has unique IP uh, in the entire stack that allows customers to do this at the scale in a cost-effective way. Do you have to educate your customers to know what they can get because this is such a new field? Absolutely. I think the customers have been working for a long time. Listen, I think AI has been in the market for a long time have been discrete systems, right? So, you know, we have the top three of the top 10 supercomputers in the world. They understand how to uh, design and deploy the systems, but enterprises, they don't, right? So we have to educate them how to use the technology, how to do it responsibly, and then ultimately how to do it in an efficient way. Um, And so they are worried about, you know, a lot of things related to responsibility and data privacy. But also they're worried about how to run the systems because they don't know, uh, they don't have that expertise. They don't have the data center capabilities. They don't have the, the power and cooling. All the systems are liquid cool. So there's a whole different set of challenges that never were confronted with. And you mentioned accuracy. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, uh, when you deal with these foundation models that have 500,000 or a trillion, uh, 500 billion, sorry, parameters or a trillion parameters, you need to start and complete the cycle of that training. And, um, and so it's what we call the, the analytics framework. And uh, when you run parallel computing, you need to make sure that the whole cycle goes through. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't go through, but we have technology that allows us to restart the cycle at the point of uh, failure and continue to stitch all that model for completion. 
And HPE has been the forefront of that technology, also with the acquisition of Cray supercomputers, um, that we know how to do it in a very cost-efficient way. So for us, it's an opportunity to educate customers, but really enable these models in a, in a cost-effective way. I think you guys don't get credit for, um, I, I don't want to be too kind, but I, you don't get credit for the acquisitions that you've done um, in Cray, uh, which was just a lost child in the world of technology for such a long time. The fact that you found so much value from Cray, which was sitting around for anyone to have for such a long time and, and integrated it wow. so well, and, and Aruba, which I want, which we'll talk about some more, but, but it, it's, it's yeah. just interesting that you've done this so um, and found such value in Cray. Well, Cray, you know, is an amazing company. It was a science project uh, once upon a time, though. I mean, it's you, they, yeah. they, 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 you've made it a lot more than that. Yeah, obviously, we give access to capital. We give access to a very large go-to-market. We give them access to customers they couldn't reach uh, before. Uh, we provided them complementary technologies that it would have hard for them to develop themselves. But when we acquired Cray, I knew that was uh, more than three years ago, that the largest workload that will run on a supercomputer will be AI. Now, we didn't know that the generative portion of AI will be so advanced as we have seen in the last nine months. So being in the right place at the right time with the right investment um, is going to help us. Uh, but think about it, Cray, as a, as a way for us to have a third engine of growth that uh, will help our customers do what they need to do and our shareholder to capture that value. So let's talk about Aruba, the, the division you guys call Intelligent Edge uh, and, and the, the very expensive acquisition of Aruba that you guys have had, but it's, it is. It wasn't. Well, no, it actually, relatively speaking. Relative to what you're getting, I mean, you're getting something out of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's the biggest no, source no, no, of your no, actually, Yeah, I mean, it was not an expensive acquisition. It was $3 billion. Actually, in retrospect, it was $2.7 billion because they had $300 million of cash, cash yeah. in the balance sheet. Um, but, you know, if you think about the value of that asset today, uh, is a multiple of five, at least. So it was a super smart acquisition I did in 2015 because we understood that in order to drive digital transformation, you need connectivity first. And then we focus on the edge aspect of it first because that's what the data is created. That's what the experiences are. Uh, and then we expanded the portfolio over over the last uh, eight years. And that's what you see what you see today, a business that grew up very rapidly and now has a bigger contribution to the overall uh, revenue and profit of the company. Yeah, growing better than 50% uh, in a year-over-year basis. Um, right. Just, I'm going to have to describe that a little more, maybe try to take some of the, you talk about the edge. What do you mean by edge? The edge is the place where we live and work. Think about it today. You know, you are, I'm assuming, in an office or your house, but fundamentally think about hospital venues. I, I, I wish my house uh, was, this would be too much house for me to clean, but, the, but <laughs> I am in the office in San Francisco, yes, in the ferry building in Jack 15. So, there you go, there you go. But is is where we live, where we work, schools, hospitals. These are all becoming intelligent edge because um, locations, because uh, think about it, they're all connected. They have intelligence uh, sensors and, um, and and other devices that help us become digitally enabled in everything we do. If you take, for example, a hospital, every device now is connected. We can even track aprons where they are at the hospital with the location-based uh, services. So that's where the vast majority of the data is created today. That data has value. The question is how you process that data and deliver insights from that data. 
that's what we call Intelligent Edge. And that's where we felt in 2018, that's going to be our largest opportunity because I felt that the enterprise of the future will be edge-centric, cloud-enabled, and data-driven. And it's proving to be exactly that. Yeah, I mean, and obviously the pandemic has accelerated some of that trend. Um, think about it, you know, we, we had to be home, locked. Um, you know, we, we over-indexed to the digital aspects of our life. You know, you have to order the foods or supplies and be delivered at home. Um, so that clearly accelerated that transition. Cloud for us is not a destination. It's an experience for all your application and data. We believe the world is hybrid. The question is how you bring that cloud native experience to everything you do. Uh, and then data-driven, right? Because ultimately, all your intellectual property is in the data. And with AI now, we have an opportunity to use that data in ways we haven't imagined before. You guys, uh, at your analyst uh, day, you uh, reported some fantastic growth for your Green Lake business. Can you describe, first of all, how, how better have you describe it than me describe? What is that business? Well, think of, think of the, you know, everybody when talks the cloud, about the cloud, thinks about, um, you know, the three big, large public cloud vendors. Uh, I want to think of HP GreenLake as the fourth cloud, but it's a truly hybrid cloud by design where we deliver the integration of your on-prem cloud and multi-generational IT that you have uh, in your data center and callers or even at the edge that you still have to maintain and run with your potential public cloud instances. And that business uh, allows us to provide a truly unified, what I call journey to one hybrid cloud experience that's truly native by design, where you can run your entire enterprise from one location, whether it's to deploy the right uh, infrastructure, whether it's to move workloads and data, whatever that's needed, to where, you know, understand your carbon footprint, because we have a sustainability dashboard built to the core, whether it is to understand your costs, right? Whether it is to protect your data. So that's what we have done with HP Green Lake. And today we support more than 27,000 unique logos, more than 3.4 million devices that we manage through the platform, and more than two exabytes of data that we manage through the same platform. So uh, from a financial perspective, it has generated $12 billion in total contract value. Our AIR, which is the annualized revenue run rate, which is the kind of how that revenue matures in a balance from a balance sheet into the PNL is growing between 35 and 45 percent, with last quarter growing at 48 percent. But it's what is interesting for shareholders, yeah, what is interesting for shareholders is the mix of that revenue is shifting to software and services, which obviously is more creative, has higher margins and profits. Um, Stephen Dickens, an analyst with Futurum, uh, was at your uh, analyst day and put something up on Twitter that I thought yep. was interesting. And he, his, his question, uh, I don't know if he put it to you guys, but he certainly raised the question whether or not some of that growth is about repatriation. Is it? Part is, right? So I think there is multiple engines within that growth. Uh, there is some repatriation from the public cloud to on-prem because we give the same experience and in many cases better economics because – Data has gravity, and you know when you think about the cost of running your workloads in the public cloud, it's all about the aggressing cost back and forth of the data. So we show that uh, predictable workloads with a lot of data intensity is better to run on your 
data centers. So that's one aspect. The other one is the fact that all our infrastructure uh, solutions are now cloud native, which means it has a subscription component to that infrastructure, which is the software to deploy it and run it over time. Uh, we also wrapped new cloud services around our, our offerings, including the SaaS portion of this, which is backup, recovery, data protection services, ransomware protection services, uh, IT operations management, which will help reduce the OPEX to run their hybrid IT, IT state. So there is multiple engines within that, uh, Corey. But, but repatriation is one of the things driving it. What, what do you think is driving that yeah. desire for repatriation? I try to say it in English. Repatriation. <laughs> I think is access control and flexibility. Honestly, uh, I think um, the the challenge of managing this ever growing data and uh, make it secure and compliant obviously is becoming a top of mind for customers. And as they think about AI, it's quite interesting, right? So AI requires a lot of data, and you're not going to put your intellectual property, which is the data, in a public domain. So that everybody, once you feed the data, let's say, to one of these uh, AI models in the public domain, your data is in the public domain, right? You're not going to put, Corey, your proprietary data of the years of podcasts and, and others that you may use to learn what other questions am I going to ask or what other things I need to do in the public domain so other, other, other companies can take advantage of that. So I think that data-driven approach is going to help find the right balance in this hybrid uh, cloud journey. Interesting. So, uh, and that's, that's the bet, right? Is, is build out a hybrid cloud because that's where it's going to end up. It's not going to end up entirely on the cloud uh, uh, and it's not going to end up entirely uh, behind closed doors. No, yes. And I think customers are becoming way more sophisticated. They have seen the bills, uh, um, you know, growing rapidly in the public cloud. Generally, they tend to over-provision uh, to make sure they have the capacity that they need. We can get them both, the public cloud and the on-prem, with exactly the right amount of infrastructure and services that they need without over-provisioning. So they pay what they consume, but they have an elastic model to grow and shrink as they need uh, based on the demands of their enterprise. I, I, I haven't covered uh, HP in different forms for so many years. I never thought things would look this good for HP, but... The numbers you've been putting up have been truly impressive, the, the, especially the the uh, the intelligence is just or the edge intelligent edge stuff has just been fantastic growth. I, I think it's a combination of many things, right? So we as a company we need to perform and transform at the same time. And uh, when I started the security analyst meeting, I did a little bit of retrospect of um, you know our journey the last three years. Obviously, we we went through a turbulent time. Uh, with the COVID, um, you know, a post-pandemic world that has emerged, which is different than we were used to, supply chain disruption, you know, uh, obviously we're still dealing with a lot of uh, microeconomic challenges and uncertainty and geopolitical, you know, tension. But, you know, we perform where it matters the most. And if you look at our first slide of the security analysis meeting, you can see our performance, right? We perform from a total shareholder return much better than the S&P 500. In fact, our performance was 121%, which was uh, significant above the S&P 500. But in that, uh, we grew revenues, we expanded gross margins, we expanded gross profit, we expanded our non-GAAP diluted minimums per share, we provided a guidance excluding 
the fact that we are going to sell the put option in China that grows 4% uh, next year. We are generating more cash on an absolute basis because we are able to convert uh, you know, our EBITDA into free cash flow much more efficiently. And I'm very excited about the future growth prospect that we presented yesterday. But really what excites me the most, Corey, is that our customers are turning to us. And uh, the relevance of our company has increased dramatically through the innovation, the human capital that we've put in front of customers. Antonio Nira is CEO of HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Corey. All right, coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, to one number about HPE that tells us so much right after this. Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And we're back with a drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot, Siobhan Companies. Companies like HPE, maybe not, but uh, a lot of companies are just lumping everything into what they call their artificial intelligence numbers. But after hundreds of interviews with tech practitioners, Futurum Intelligence, uh, an important part of the Futurum group, uh, now calculates that the true AI compute, AI computing numbers alone, is going to grow at a 25.3% CAGR, a compound annual growth rate. There's your number, 25.3%. Over the next four years, to get to become a $419 billion business by 2027. Wow, that is incredible. You know, Corey, I spent uh, last week at South by Southwest in Sydney. It was the first South by Southwest uh, conference festival, you know, all the things that go on there that has happened outside Austin. And it was here in Sydney. And you know, I talked to a number of reporters afterwards and it's just a little bit of AI fatigue right now. Every panel we went into, every discussion is is all about AI. So, uh, yep, I can I can understand. It's in all these earnings oh, reports I'm, too. I'm using it a ton. I'm using it to try to change a lot of the processes that we've used here for the Business Podcast Network and will continue uh, to use when we're under the Futurum umbrella um, and not just to generate images of gratuitous blondes. Uh, all right. I, I take umbrage at that, Corey, because I am <laughs> you're not, not gratuitous. You're I necessary. I am. You're, you're, a, you're a central cog to the works. I'm a real person, and I was at that waterfall, and that is all correct. Some of your <laughs> other images not featuring me, mm, those ones could be gratuitous. We prefer the real thing. Thank mm-hmm. you, Siobhan, the real thing. Mm-hmm. Check out her latest in Forbes, Australia. Siobhan Field, our fabulous co-host this week. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. The Futurums, The Drill Down is a production of Futurums Business Podcast Network.